Good to see you here this morning, this evening. I'll get it straight. We're here to worship the Lord tonight. We're going to continue our study in Elijah. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. We're talking about uh, the, the part in this account of Elijah's life where, where he had been three and a half years hidden. There was no rain, but according to his word, it's been three and a half years since he confronted Ahab and told him that there wouldn't be rain. But according to his word, it was because of the sinfulness of the land, the idolatry of the land. And he went and God hit him by a brook and God hit him with a widow woman. And search was made for Elijah all through the land. They couldn't find him. And then God sends out uh, Ahab, the king, sends out Obadiah, who was, the Bible says was his governor. So he must have been his right-hand man or one of the, obviously one of the people with authority in his, his government. And Ahab says, you go this way and I'll go that way. We're going to see if we can find any grass that's around so that we can feed the horses and mules so they don't all die. And it, we talked about the selfishness, you know, that he's more concerned about mules and, and, uh, and horses dying from his stalls than he is for the people of the land who were going through the same type of troubles. But uh, so in the meantime, God has spoken to Ahab in chapter 18, look at verse 1. It came to pass after many days. This is after that total of three and a half years. It's a long time. There had been a drought. And then because of the drought, there was a famine. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Last time it dealt with Ahab, he says, Go hide yourself from Ahab. Three and a half years has gone by. The Lord's hoping. Uh, and, uh, the Lord's hoping that the, that the drought, the severity of everything, would have the effect of humility and contrition on the king. And, and on the nation and turn the people back to God. So there's a purpose in it. God's not just being cruel. The whole thing is very merciful because his whole thought is to turn the people back to him and away from idolatry, okay? And so he says, now go show yourself. And so as he goes, he, he's, wherever passage he's, he's going, uh, he, he runs across Obadiah. Obadiah is one, the Bible says, that feared God. Obadiah, that greatly from his youth, Obadiah is one that uh, when, when Jezebel was killing all the true prophets, the prophets of Jehovah in the land, literally having them hunted down and killed, that uh, he was able to, to hide 50, 100 of them, that's 100 people, hide them by two groups of 50s in some cave, and over this period of that time when they were being hunted down and a period of famine and drought, he is able to feed them and take care of them with bread and water. That's quite a feat, okay? But we're still going to contrast, I would say, the faith and the spirit and power of Elijah with the faith of Obadiah. It's not to make a spectacle or to, to badmouth Obadiah, but there are some contrasts, I think, that would that we could learn from, okay? We talked about it quite a bit last week. I'm going to finish that thought this week. So when Ahab comes in, uh, in verse 8, let's look at 1 Kings 18, 8. And he answered him, I am, I, 
I am. Go tell my, thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. Obadiah said, are you Elijah? He knew it. And he says, I am. Go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, what have, this is what Obadiah responded. What have I sinned that thou wouldest deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? So the first thought, when Obadiah sees Elijah, the prophet of God, the man of God for the hour, he says to him, what did I do wrong? You're going to send me back to, to my king. And when he, he says Elijah's here, when I tell him Elijah's here, he's going to kill me. Because everybody's been looking all over for you. And he went to talk about it more. He says, and, you know, maybe I'll go and, and the Spirit of the Lord will carry you off while I'm gone. Well, in the meantime, while I'm going to get Ahab and bring him here to you, the Spirit of God's going to carry you off somewhere and he'll kill me. and You won't be here. Or, uh, you know, he goes, where you'll be going somewhere else. And so his first concern, and he repeats it again in a later verse, is that Obadiah's first concern is that Ahab is going to kill him. And he's concerned for himself. And we don't see that same at all, that same fear in Ahab, I mean, in Elijah, do we? We don't see the same fear. He's already spoken to the king once face to face. And then he just turned and walked off because God said, go hide yourself by the brook. Ahab didn't lay a hand on it. And we say it all the time, the safest place to be is in the will of God. It doesn't matter if you're in a lion's den. If you're in the lion's den in the will of God, that's the safest place to be. It doesn't mean if, uh, matter if you're in a fiery furnace or in a prison cell like uh, Paul and Barnabas or, or, I mean, Paul and Silas. It, it's the safest place and the best place to be is right in the will of God. And Obadiah didn't have this same faith. He didn't have this same confidence. And, and so he wasn't used to nearly to the degree that Elijah was, nor do we, we hold him up and exemplify him as we do, as we do Elijah. Okay? So we, we find out quickly that uh, you can't serve two masters. So Elijah had one. Right? There's no doubt about it. He says that the Lord God liveth before whom I stand. I'm going to wait here, Obadiah, today while you go get your king, your Lord, and bring him back to me. It's the Lord God's liveth before whom I stand. He stood and fell to one, and that was Jehovah, period. There was no torn allegiance. There was no, how can I do a juggling act and, act and please the king and please Jehovah? And Obadiah didn't have this, uh, he could have, but he didn't have this uh, freedom, I guess you would say, or this power. And he was more concerned about saving his neck and not getting in trouble with Ahab, okay? So we see that very clear. You cannot serve two masters, whether it's the king, Ahab, whether it's a good king or a bad king. You can't serve a king and then the king of kings. Your, our heart has to be fully devoted to one. We can be faithful and, men, and serve in a government or under a, an authority higher than us as long as it does not conflict or, or hinder our testimony for Christ. As long as we can live with a free conscience fully to the extent that God has called us to live for him. You understand that? Obadiah was not in sin because he was, uh, Ob was Ahab's governor. If there was sin, it would have been because of his covering up the light and hiding it and not being bold, okay? And so uh, 
we, we, we see that. Where do, where do we see other things similar to that in the Bible? We see in Genesis 19 that uh, God came down to see if the wickedness of Sodom was like the, the, the stench of their sin and reached up to heaven, and he came down to, to see it and then to judge it and destroy it. And Abraham began to intercede on behalf of his nephew because Abraham's nephew, Lot, was living in Sodom. Now think about it for just a moment. Who had, any, who had an influence on Sodom? Do we see that Lot had any kind of salt and light influence on Sodom? We don't read of it. We don't know of it. We see that he had cozied up to it, that he was comfortable there. But let's make a clear point. The Bible says that uh, uh, Lot was a just man, just, and he did not commit the sins of Sodom. He did not do it. He didn't partake in the sin, which is good, right? That's a good thing. That's admirable. But it's not the same as going all the way and being salt, okay? And so who had influence with God and man? It was going to be Abraham. Abraham interceded on behalf of his nephew, and God says, I'm going to get him out of there. I'm going to get your nephew and his family out of there and spare their lives. Everybody else is going to be destroyed. And so Lot had no influence. He had no Christian godly influence. Though he didn't commit the sins of the people around him, he also did not uh, take a stand for the Lord. There, it could be the same for a, a woman, let's say a Christian woman that marries an unbelieving man. She's already a Christian. The man's already an unbeliever. She chooses to wed him anyway. She's going to find herself uh, walking a tightrope. It could be vice versa. It could be the, the man's a Christian and marries a woman that's not a believer, and he knows that. And he's going to find himself constantly fighting and may lose that battle of being brought down morally, being brought down into a life of compromise. Uh, <clears throat> you know, the same thing, the church that admits the world into it, just unchanged, come on in, is going to find itself becoming worldly a lot faster than the church, I mean, the world is going to become Christian or godly. The church that admits the world is going to become worldly a lot faster than the world becomes Christian. It just, that's, that's the way it is because there's a calling of God upon our lives to come out and be separate. I want to read that, though, well, though we all know it. I want you to turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 with me. This is for all of us, y'all. This isn't just look at Obadiah. and this, this is for us. These things are written for our admonition, the Bible says, upon whom the ends of the world have come. They're examples for us. 2 Corinthians 6, I want to read 14 through 18. We need to hear this because I think so much of the, the lines are blurred in the, between the church and the world, and they're not supposed to be. Okay, they're not supposed to be. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Well, the, the, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is none. Okay? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or, or devil worship, basically? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate. Separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. That's not Old Testament, okay? That's not legalism. That is the call of God, Old and New Testament, to come out from her, right? When Babylon, we read it, I think in Revelation 18, I'm not sure the exact place, and the Lord gives a, a, a warning, come out of her, my people. God's getting ready to destroy Babylon. He says, my people, come out of her. He's always separated light from darkness. From the very first day of creation, God separated the light from the darkness. And we are the light of the world, amen? We're the salt of the earth. There is to be a separation. If God puts you in a place of authority, <clears throat> in a governmental position or something like that, and the people around you aren't Christians, then you're going to have to live for God. You're going to have to have wisdom. But what you cannot do is compromise the Lord. So you have to be careful. You have to be careful because we can rationalize and say, well, if I do this, I'm going to get in trouble. If I do this, I'm going to get fired. If I say too much, I'm going to get fired. And you might. You need to hear from God and know what he would have you to do and when he would have you to be quiet. And when he would have you to speak on his behalf, his man or woman is going to speak on his behalf. And so, again, it's not a sin. It's not a sin that Obadiah was in that administration, if you want to call it that. But we have to be careful. Okay, Elijah, I mean, Obadiah sought simply to prevent harm to the prophets. That was good, but we do need more. You understand that we need more in our day and in every day. There has to be a bolder stance against sin and, and evil. We have to know who's on the Lord's side, right? Who's on the Lord's side? And there has to be that clear line drawn. And uh, there are people in the Bible that we read about who did that. Elijah certainly did that. We don't see that Obadiah did. Uh, we see it. <clears throat> excuse me. With Esther, we see it with the, that with Daniel. We see it with others who are clearly on the Lord's side to identify with Christ. Paul said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ." Everywhere he went, he says, "Bonds and afflictions waited him." Why? Not because he was a, a nice guy or a former Pharisee. He, bonds and afflictions waited him because he testified of the Lord Jesus Christ and he testified of the sinfulness of the world and that men must repent. He testified that. So everywhere he went, whether he was among unbelieving Jews or Gentiles, he was bonds and afflictions waited him, awaited him because he clearly identified with the Lord. Our day and our world needs the boldness of someone like John the Baptist. John the Baptist, right, who calls out Herod for his sin. It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Well, wow, you could get trouble for that, John. Don't you know he knew that before he said it? But it's needed. It's needed. We don't invent it and say it ourselves, but as God leads us by his spirit, there's that boldness. Amen. Obadiah did not walk in that boldness, amen. There has to be uh, someone that can confront the, the perpetrators of evil and the evildoers. Jesus in the temple, okay, Jesus in the temple, not only did he not sin in his earthly life, right, or at any time, Jesus was the spotless lamb of God, and all points tempted like we are yet without sin. So he never sinned. In a sense, that's the passive, but also he, he went into the temple and cleansed the temple publicly and there was a time for that 
There's a time for him to get in the temple and say, you've, my father's house is to be a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. There was a time for him to say, you're hypocrites, you're blind leaders of the blind. You understand when it's not unloving, it's obedience to the Father. There has to be both the sheltering the prophets, but also a standing up against sin in our world. Both are needed, okay? Both are needed. And so uh, we have to be led by the Lord. And, and for that, there's needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For that, there's needed the power of the Holy Ghost, okay? And we see, um, we see Elijah, the Spirit of God, upon him. And it can't be any half-hearted commitment. It's got to be all the way. Like Sunday morning, right, about surrendering all to the Lord. There has to be that all in, all the way in, no matter what the ramifications are and what the Lord will certainly be with us, amen? The, certain, the Lord will certainly take care of us, and the Lord will certainly uh, walk with us. But because Elijah was all in, and from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, he belonged to Jehovah, he didn't serve two masters, he wasn't conflicted, he wasn't torn between pleasing two, he wasn't walking a tightrope trying to juggle between pleasing Ahab and the government and staying on good terms with them and with God. It was just the Lord, period. And our world needs that. Our world needs that, that type of commitment from the, the most uh, lowly saint to really live that way. Obadiah didn't have this kind of power. We have to say that he did not have that kind of power that, w that Elijah walked in. And it was because Elijah did walk in it that God used him the way he did. So th this is the type of thing I want us to, to learn from that. Yes, we're to be sugar in the sense we're to be sweet and kind, and that is fruit of the Spirit, gentleness and kindness. We're to love our enemies. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. But we also have to be salt, right? We have to be salt. And salt, when it's rubbed in a wound, stings. But it's going to help. It's going to help bring the cure. But salt that's lost its savor doesn't sting. You can rub it all in that wound all day long. So think about it. The, but Jesus said, if the salt has lost its savor, it's henceforth good for what? Nothing, right? Do you want to be good for nothing? Anybody ever call you good for nothing? Uh, we don't want to be good for nothing. We want to be uh, used by the Lord. And so there has to be that salt. And, and so many times, you know, you hear just, he's so sweet, he's so nice, she's so sweet, she's so nice, the nicest person I know. And it's wonderful to be that way. We ought to be that way. But is there ever a time when we rebuke sin? Is there ever a time when we stand up and say, you need the Lord? You need to repent? <clears throat> the way you're heading is, is a road of destruction? At some point, God would have us to do that. And so uh, there has to be that almost aggressive stance. And the Bible says, so Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. When the Lord said, go show yourself to Ahab, Elijah was, he was hitting it. He's going. He's going to show himself to Ahab. He knew that he wasn't going to be popular. He knew that this man could kill him. But at the same time, he knew he couldn't kill him because he was in the will of God. And he feared the, the Lord, the king, more than that king. And I think Obadiah was in between the two. Amen. Obadiah wanted nothing to do with it, right? He said, he, twice he said he's going to kill me. He didn't want anything to do with it. But Elijah, look at verse 15. 
1 Kings 18, 15. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand. It had everything to do with him living in the presence of God. I'll surely show myself to him today. He wasn't afraid. Elijah did not fear the king. Amen. And so the fear of God made him, uh, I guess, sheltered from any other fear. It's a, and I've talked about it before. I know that you know this, but that's really a great freedom to, to just have one Lord, one that we have to please, one that I have to obey, one that I fear with a holy, reverent fear. It spares you from fearing death. It spares you from feeling what will my friends think, what will my boss think, what will my classmates think, because we just fear the Lord and we walk before him. It really frees us up from a lot. And so the one who fears nothing but God, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll accomplish what God calls him to do, though a thousand demons may be blocking the road. Elijah was going to get to Ahab. You understand what I'm He was going to get there. He was going to obey the Lord and get there. And one more thought about this, this thought of contrasting the difference between Obadiah and Elijah. And specifically this, what was their reception with Ahab? In other words, how, how did Ahab receive Obadiah? And how did Ahab the king, who was wicked and filled with idolatry, how did he receive Elijah? Three people, both feared God greatly, but there was quite a different reception on how Ahab looked at Obadiah and thought of him, and how Ahab, this wicked idolater, looked at Elijah. There's quite a difference in how he, he viewed them. And plain and simply, Ahab could tolerate Obadiah. Do you have to agree with that? Ahab, he was his governor. Ahab could tolerate Obadiah because Obadiah never rebuked him. Obadiah never rebuked his king. And, and uh, Ahab could put up with that, basically. Again, when salt has lost its savor, it, it doesn't burn. It doesn't sting. That sting is a good thing when it's rebuking sin or even convicting me of my own sin, or maybe your holiness, and I'm a Christian, and I'm not living quite the way I should, that's a good thing when I, there's a, a conviction from the Lord from your life, okay? That's a good thing. Obadiah evidently did not have this effect upon Ahab. When the prophets were being killed, he hid some, as I said last week, but he did not identify himself as, wait, I'm one of those followers too. What you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is evil. He would have been killed. Okay, and so there was, there was uh, Ahab could tolerate him, but as soon as Ahab saw Elijah, let's read this in verse seventeen. And it came to pass, so they finally meet up on that day. God, Elijah said, "I'm going to show himself, myself to him today." Verse sixteen. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Verse seventeen. It came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah. That Ahab said unto him, Are thou he that troublest Israel? Basically, he's saying, Are you that troubler of Israel? That's how the revised version reads that. Are you that troubler of Israel? He immediately like attacks him. He immediately accuses him. And he never did that with Obadiah. He did it with Elijah. Okay? He did it with Elijah. And so this actually would be the same reception years after 
everything we're reading about Elijah. There's another account where Ahab's still king, and he wants to join affinity. He's about to go fight the Philistines, I think. And he says, uh, Jehoshaphat, who was king of Judah at the time, the kingdom was split, right? Ahab's king of, of Israel and Samaria. Jehoshaphat's the king of Judah. And he says, Jehoshaphat, why don't you come fight with me against these, uh, I believe it was the Philistines. And, and so Jehoshaphat comes and says, well, do you have any prophets here that can tell us the will of God in this matter? And so Ahab, this is years after what we're reading, okay? Ahab says, well, yeah, I've got all, all my prophets. He calls them in, 400, 400 prophets, and all of them are false. He surrounded himself with 400 false prophets. By that time, all the Baal prophets had been killed, but now he's got false prophets of Jehovah. And they all said, oh, yes, you go and you fight, and you're going to push the Philistines into the sea, you know, and you're going to, no doubt, you're going to prevail. And Jehoshaphat goes, come on now. He goes, don't you have a real prophet around here, somebody that really hears from God that we can talk to? You know what Ahab's response is? Well, there's one guy, Micaiah, but I hate him. It's literally what he said. And this is how I think he viewed Elijah, okay? I hate him because he never prophesies good for me. He never says only evil. Well, that's the same attitude that he had with Micaiah, who was the true man of God, okay? And boldly spoke up on behalf of the Lord, and didn't care about what people did to him. That's the same attitude he had toward Elijah, but he didn't have that attitude towards Obadiah because Micaiah rebuked Ahab for his sin and the sin of the land. Elijah rebuked Ahab for his sin and the sin of the land, and uh, Obadiah did not. So he could put up with Obadiah, and that's almost like a when you think about that being your own life or I think about that being my own life, that's almost one of the worst uh, criticisms, I guess you could say. One, worst things that could be said about us is that they're just sweet and everything, but there's never anything in us that brings any type of conviction on their sin. Now, I'm not the Lord, and I'm not the Holy Spirit, and no, nor are you. And, and it's not our job to go out and find every simple, simple thing in the world. That's sin, that's sin. You, we could find sin without walking five feet, Okay. But as God leads us, we need to very clearly identify with Jehovah. And that would be in every way. He's the Savior. He's my Lord. And so we're, they say, why don't you cuss like I do? Well, I'll give my life to Christ. Why don't you drink on Fridays? We go out and drink. Why don't you come with us? Well, because I've given my life to Christ. Why don't you, uh, you know, the boss sitting around and you keep working hard. Why don't you knock off like we do because I'm a Christian. That's kind of the passive Okay, we need to do that. But there also has to be something in us that brings a rebuke or condemnation or conviction on their sin. You understand what I'm saying? Both in the, my, my speech and my behavior. And again, as God would, would lead me to, there's sometime we would have to stand up and say, no, like Elijah, Ahab, you're the troubler of Israel. Are you that troubler? He accuses him. He hates him like he did Micaiah. He says, no, Ahab, you're the troubler. Obadiah never did that, did he? Let's keep reading. And he answered, verse 18, I have not troubled Israel. And he had not. 
He loved Israel, and he loved the God of Israel. But thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and, and thou hast followed Balaam. So that's pretty clear. You've forsaken the Lord, and you followed Balaam, this idol. It's very clear. There's, there's no question where, where Elijah stood and where, what he was uh, accusing or pointing Ahab of doing, right? Very clear. Obadiah didn't do this. And so uh, he brings this condemnation, and, and we see that, that the Bible tells us the same thing. Jesus says the same thing in the New Testament when he says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. So this is so contrary to, I would say, modern Christianity or Christendom, what's talked about. Again, I think if you give your life to Christ, you're going to be the, the, the star of the football team if you're an athlete. You give your life to Christ, and you're going to be win the, the most class president. You give your life to Christ, and you're going to, you're going to be elected mayor. You know, But that's not the, the picture that we read in the Bible. We give our life to Christ, and we're going to be persecuted if we live it. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Every word of that is straightforward and very plain. All that live godly in Christ. We could be in Christ and not live godly and still be saved. I don't know how long the Lord will let us live that way. I lived that way for five years. But I do know this. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I'll say it again. We don't go looking for trouble. You don't wake up in the morning and say, how can I get persecuted today? How can I get thrown into prison for the cause of Christ? You get up and you live for the Lord. You live for the Lord when it's popular and easy, and you live for the Lord when it costs something. But if we do like we did Sunday, it's already all given to God. So no matter what comes my way, it's already decided. It's already decided. I'm not crossing this line. I'm not going to do this. I've already decided. You may have a thousand days where you're not tempted at all or, or put in a position to even think about compromising, and then the next day, there it is. But I've already decided, right? I've already surrendered. I've already given myself as a living sacrifice. So if this is what God has for me today, there's Elijah in the widow's house. Three and a half years has passed. I don't know if he knew what day it was going to be. The Lord says, now go show yourself to Ahab. He had to know that was taking his life in his hands. He had to know that. And yet it says he went and showed himself to Ahab. So when it's already given to God, and I'll encourage all of y'all, and I'll encourage you young people, decide before. Give your life to Christ and mean it. Surrender to the Lord fully before. So when temptation comes, so the temptation to compromise, or the temptation to fit in, and it would be sin, comes, you've already decided. That's already a settled issue. That, does, that doesn't solve it all, but I can tell you it helps a lot. You still need the Lord at that moment. I understand that. But if you've already decided and don't have to debate it at that minute and figure it out, and don't rationalize yourself, we can rationalize ourselves right into some compromise or sin. But if we've decided before, then praise God, he's going to help us and give us strength. If all men are speaking well of you, you might have to question, am I really living for God? 
all men speak well of you. Again, there's this missed uh, representation of Christ and of Christianity today. I think it's been going on for quite a while in our country that, you know, give your life to Christ and, and you know, everybody's just going to love you and you're just going to love everybody. And it's not the case. It could be compromise, amen? And we've got to be careful. If Ahab accuses you of troubling him, you're Ahab in your life, or somebody that's a notable sinner accuses you, you're the problem, you Christians are the problem, you preachers are the problem, you fundamentalist Christians are the problem, you can probably bet you're on the right track, okay? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of that. It's going to come, okay? It's going to come. And we could say, no, you're the troubler of the United States. You're the problem. Your sin, your sin has brought our country where, where it is. You understand what I'm saying? It's because we've turned our backs on God, on the Lord God, the true living God. And so we have to be careful not to compromise. If we do compromise, and I would say who in this room has not at some point in your Christianity compromised, you know what we can do? We can turn to the Lord. Thank God. During that five-year period I talked about, I compromised. I compromised all the way through it. Compromised. Took my light and hid it under a bushel. Miserable. Miserable way to be, okay? But yet we can turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord and we can be forgiven. And, and we come to God and we confess and we repent. And we come before him with weeping. And we come before him in, in sincerity and turn to the Lord. Listen to what Hosea says. I'll read this from Hosea 6. He hath torn, he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. The same one who smites our hearts and convicts us of sin, we run back to him. He'll heal us. He'll heal us. He's torn us because we, we grieved him. We grieved the Holy Spirit. We sinned against God. No question about it. Turn to the Lord. Come back to him. He has he is torn us. He's smitten us. He says he'll heal us. He'll bind us up. We're closing we're not this chapter with this fact that we, when we're closing this thought in this chapter, uh, we're not this chapter, but this study for tonight, we're closing with this face-to-face -face meeting between Elijah the prophet. And just, just this picture, if John the Baptist was a t like a New Testament uh, Elijah, right? He's, I send Elijah before my face. And he was that prophet uh, all these years later. And Elijah, we know, lives rough and, and rugged and lived down the land and ate off of the land. And it's where he lived. And he wasn't refined with his clothing or, or anything. He was just God's man. He was on fire. Okay, just totally on fire for the Lord. He had one purpose in his entire life. He died young. One purpose in his entire life was to say, here he is. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths, right? He had one job in his whole life, to be the herald. You know, a herald's the one that blew the trumpet like the king's riding into town. He's coming with his entourage. The herald would go before and blow the trumpets. That's what John the Baptist was. One job. Elijah was was similar. He really, we see one job that he has in his whole life and his ministry, at least at this point, is to turn the nation back to God and from Baal 
of this, this worship and turn them back to Jehovah. And so uh, we, we, see, we see Ahab, who's the king, probably in his kingly attire. And then we see Elijah. And he says, you're the troubler of Israel. And Elijah says, you're the trouble of Israel because of your sin. And it's, it's, you're looking at royalty with the king, but honestly, there's no question as to who was the most royal. You understand what I'm saying? There's no question who was the most royal. There's two individuals. That's it in this whole picture. And, and it ain't, it's not the king that's the most royal. It's Elijah in the will of God, filled with the Spirit of God, filled with faith, and God used him. Amen. God wants to raise up people like that in our day. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11, and I would just include Elijah as one of these, by faith, right? Hebrews 11, by faith, quench the violence of the fire. By faith, escape the edge of the sword. By faith, out of weakness was made strong. By faith, stop the mouth of the lions. And if we had the same faith, we could walk in that same kind of power as Elijah and these other saints and men and women of God. God's no respecter of persons. And I'm telling you, you know it as much as I do. There's such a need for that in our day. Not only the sugary syrup of being nice people, but we need to be able to give a reason for the hope that's in us. And we need to be able to bring a rebuke on sin. People don't talk about that kind of stuff anymore. It doesn't seem politically correct even within the church. But our life is to bring a rebuke on the sin around us. Again, you don't say, well, tomorrow I'm going to do such and such and point out the sinfulness of my boss. You be led by the Lord. But whatever it costs you, if God's leading you to do it or me to do it, we need to do it. If he says, go show yourself to Ahab, show yourself, okay? Show where you are. Show where you're lined up with. Identify with Christ. Go show yourself to the wicked person in your life or authority or whoever it may be. If God says to do it, you and I need to do it. And if you and I are going to do it, we have to have the faith. And the Lord will strengthen our faith. Amen. And we need to be filled with his spirit. The Bible talks all about the spirit of Elijah. Again, it's the Holy Spirit. I want to close with two verses. Turn with me in your Bible to John. They're both coming from John. John 7, verse 7. Jesus said this. Think about it for just a second. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth. Why does the world, one of the reasons, he says right here, because... I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. It's pretty significant, huh? The world can't hate you. You're just a little whirling, just going along pretty much with things as they are. But the world hates me because I testify specifically, I testify that the works of the world are evil. Last verse, John 17, 14. Very similar. This is Jesus the night. John said he's going to be arrested this night and crucified the next day. He's with his disciples. John 17, 14. He's praying to his father. I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them 
because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And so don't think that being a Christian means that, and I know you know better, but don't go along with the, the lie that being a Christian means that everything's just going to be wonderful. If we live godly in Christ Jesus, we're going to suffer persecution. But also, if we live godly in Christ Jesus, we're going to be used for the glory of God. And when we sing that song tonight, let my life bring glory, glory to you. This is part of it. Rebuking sin as God leads us to both through our character and spirit and through our words is needed. It's needed in our day. Okay? Salt, not just sugar. We're to be salt. I'll close with this. Indeed, you can come. But uh, Jesus said, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. For so spoke your fathers of the false, false prophets. So think about it. Woe unto you. If everybody's just saying, everybody, people that are lost, people that are living in all kinds of sin, and, and they know me, and they all speak well of me. He says, woe unto you. When all men speak well of you, for so spake they, your fathers, of the false prophets. So I don't want to be a false prophet. Do we want people to like us? Yes. But we need to be something more than that. We want to serve God. We want to please God. And we want people to know more than that he's a nice guy and he's never caused any trouble. We need to be known as a believer. We need to identify with Christ outside the camp. That means out there in the world. And then God can send us to a world that's lost. Amen? He can use us for his glory. Elijah was plucked out, set aside. He stood before Jehovah all of his life. And when it was time, that was the man, the one that was plucked out, that he's going to send right back in. He had no strings attached to Ahab at all. He's not intimidated by Ahab at all. No strings attached to any of that. He was totally separated from it. And God says, that's the one I can use. Amen? Y'all understand that. We're not looking for trouble, but we're going to live for God. And what comes, comes. And be resolved to serve God no matter what comes. Amen? Pray for a boldness to stand, not only to not sin yourself, but to stand against the wickedness of our day. Amen? Y'all stand with me tonight. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you tonight in Jesus' name. And God, we do read in the Bible that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And, and you used him, God, to spare the lives of a hundred of your prophets. And I thank you for that, Lord. But God, there has to be more. There has to be that salt. There has to be that spirit in us that is it's bold. That there was in Elijah that was in Peter and John when the, the council threatened them and beat them and commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And they said, we cannot but speak the things that we've seen and heard. And they went and preached again and again and again and again. God, I pray you give us such boldness by your spirit. It's not for the half-hearted, Lord God. It's the one from the top of his head to the soles of his feet that is separated unto you, God. And I pray that you would help us to be a people separated unto you, Lord. You know that our day, the day in which we live, God, close to your return, 
is a day in which that boldness is needed. God, I pray that you would help us, God. Forgive us, God. If we've sinned against you, you've smitten us, and you'll, you'll bind us up, God. Now these altars are open.